Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I present to you Father Patrick Schultz. All right. I was thinking, uh, you know you're at a Catholic event when you've got an incredibly stocked bar and there's just babies all over the room and a kilt in the room. I, that, I don't know if that's now a new sign of Catholic. I need to talk to you before the night is over. I think, I'm thinking like black and gray. I think that could go really good. We'll talk. Okay. Let us pray before we begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God Almighty, we give you thanks and praise for this night and for this incredible mission. Lord, your heart is for us. It's for the young church. You want to raise up many saints. You want to do it in unconventional ways through unexpected instruments like us. So we give ourselves to you, Lord. We ask you to work your spirit through us. We give you this night and this mission as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Going back in time, in 1952, an American composer named John Milton Cage, he created a piece of music that was incredibly controversial at the time, and it's remained controversial through the decades. It was a piece that's been called 433. The pianist comes out on the stage to uproarious applause. He sits down at the concert grand, does the little tail thing as he sits down. Piano fan over there. (laughs) Sits down, gets the stopwatch out, closes the lid of the piano, starts the stopwatch, and just sat there for four minutes and 33 seconds, not playing a single note on the piano. And the people in the room were very confused. You could hear the squeaking of chairs as people were adjusting themselves. You could hear coughing. And then you could hear footsteps as people got up and they're just like, I'm out of here. They just left. When it was first performed, the, obvi- the audience was, and I say performed, this is like an intense quote right here. When it was first performed, the audience was obviously baffled. Now, after the performance, very astute, scholastic, musical, you know, commentators, they had a lot to say about it. They thought it was brilliant. They also happened to be morons. They said, the sound of the peace. It was the sound of the people, the ambient noise, the coughing, the shuffling of feet. And every time it's ever been performed since, these are the sounds of 433. Now, look, I'm not here to argue whether or not Cage's piece counts for music. It obviously does not case closed. If you have a debate with this, you're also one of those morons. Okay, so it's <laughs> a good way to start a keynote and insult the audience. <laughs> I bring it up because when, uh, when 
I was asked by Brooke and the team to, to present on the topic of silence. I was, I was highly tempted to do my own like sort of 433 stunt on you, sign of the cross, and just, just stand here and have a stare down <laughs> for like 30 minutes and just see who breaks first. It would probably be me. So. <laughs> Let's just put the, the obvious out there. There's something ironic about giving a talk on the topic of silence. Thank you, Brooke. Uh, there's something odd and ironic about giving a talk on the topic of silence. It's like that, uh, I don't know if they do this at your parish. Uh, they don't do this at my parish. They've done this at parishes I've been to, that post-communion reflection song, Sacred Silence, where you are singing about sacred silence, sacred silence, holy ocean, gentle water, washing over me. Please, for the love of God, just stop playing, right? <laughs> So, what one can do to honor the topic of silence while speaking about silence is, uh, as best I can, to be brief, um, which for me means about an hour and a half. So, the title that I was given for this talk, which I really love, by the way, whoever came up with the title, uh, good job, and I really, as a speaker, I love being given a title, that's, that's really nice. So, the title I was given is Silence in a Manic World. Silence in a Manic World. That's a good title. It's really good. And man, oh man, is our world ever manic? I looked up the definition of the word manic just because I was like, I wonder what the actual dictionary definition is. If you look up the word manic, this is what you'll find. Showing wild and apparently deranged excitement and energy. Frenetically busy and frantic. I can't think of a better descriptor for our contemporary culture than manic. And this dictatorship of mania, this dictatorship of noise, that's a Cardinal Sarah quote there, dictatorship of noise. It's, I don't think it's ever more highly accentuated than it is in this season, this time of the year, in Advent. Right? This season that we're meant to enter into silence, there is so much frenetic busyness and mania surrounding us. Like precisely when we're invited by Mother Church to enter into the ache. That's what Advent is. It's an invitation to enter into the ache, the ache of our hearts. The season we're meant to feel and live out from the depths our own O antiphons. You know how starting December 17th we start singing those O antiphons which comprise the him, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? Those O antiphons. That O, that O is the, the cracking open of the heart in longing, right? We're not just simply, O key of David, come and unlock, you know, O rod of Jesse. No, it's O! That's the O. It's the O, would you rend the heavens and come down? says Isaiah. We're meant to enter into our own, like, O Antiphon. O that you would come and fix my life. O that you would come and, like, heal my marriage, that you would touch my heart again, that you would liberate me from myself, from my own insanity, my own addictions, my own cycle of throwing myself into darkness. O that you would bring someone into my life Oh, that you would come. 
We're meant to enter into the ache. And this season, right, this season, we're meant to enter into this ache, into this silence, to get in touch with our hearts. This season, more than, like, more than other seasons, we're just drowning in an ocean of diversion. We're just drowning in this sea of noise. When we're meant to go in, everything around us says, go outside of yourself. Exteriorization. I just find that word frenetic just so accurately describing the interiority of so many of us. Many good people, people in this room, good disciples, we're just so much more Americanized than we are uh, Christified. <laughs> we're just so much more Americanized, attuned to the pace, to the noise, to the atmosphere of the culture than we are attuned to the beating of the sacred heart. We're just so much more attuned to the noise. I mean, what's our favorite social dialogue when you're talking with someone? Hey, how are things? Good. Busy. Ever want to freak someone out? Just, just say, I just got just so much time <laughs> on my hands. I'm like, are you like a serial killer? What are you plotting something? <laughs> It'll freak people out. Because we're all supposed to be busy. We're all supposed to be busy. I, I, I have a barber. I know that might confuse you, but I have a beard. <laughs> I go to my barber every two weeks because this is the money maker. And uh, you got to take care of... Anyway, every time I go to my barber, we have the same... Con... Well, we kind of have the same conversation. We have the same initial conversation. Hey, man, how are things? Good, good. Then he goes, busy. This is a busy time for you. Doesn't matter if it's like the third week of Advent or the 20th week of ordinary time. It's just like every... This is a busy time for you? Yeah. It's just a busy time. It's like, yeah, busy. It's busy, man. Yeah, it's so busy. I think it would freak him out if I was like, no, I just, like my muscles are all relaxed. I've been taking a lot of naps. I don't. So when we speak about this manic world that we're living in with all this noise, it's not just what we hear with our ears. That's not just simply what we're talking about. It's the whole atmosphere, this frenetic activity, the, the, the go, 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 go. Diversion, distraction, all of that stuff which brings us into the exterior. We speak about the mania, the freneticism, the noise. We're talking about that stuff that keeps us on the surface, that keeps us from the interior, that keeps us distracted and diverted. And we're just the stuff that keeps us from our hearts. So instead of this frenetic active activism, instead of the mania, or in, into the activism, into the mania, the Lord has been whispering the same thing for centuries from the prophet Isaiah. By waiting and by calm, you shall be saved. In quiet and in trust, your strength lies. Sounds so beautiful. Then there's a comma. And then the Lord says, but you would have none of it. By waiting and by calm, you would be saved. In quiet and in trust, your strength lies, but you would have none of it. So here are the three questions I want to look at. First question, why the noise? 
Second question. What are we afraid of? And the third question, why is silence the tonic? Why is it the remedy? All right, so this first question, why the noise? Let's start here. Let's start with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis fans? C.S. Lewis fans? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm sure there's a priest who will hear your confession. Because <laughs> you're clearly reading the wrong books. Okay. Let's start with this. This is from C.S. Lewis's classic, The Screwtape Letters, which is, if you haven't read it, um, it is an imagined, it's his imaginative reverse engineering of the spiritual life. It's not written from God's perspective or from the perspective of the heavenly forces. It's, it's written from the perspective below. Screwtape's writing letters to a junior demon, right? That's getting into the mind of the demonic. In fact, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was instrumental in Lewis's own conversion, Tolkien told Lewis, don't, don't do this. Don't go down this path. Don't, don't get into the mind of the devil. Don't do this, man. I'm sure he didn't say man. He was, you know, British. <laughs> I didn't really talk like that. So anyway, he said, don't do this. And so uh, Lewis, you know, like a good friend, dedicated uh, screw tape letters to Tolkien. So <laughs> true story. So screw tape, he writes this. Music, remember this is from the demonic perspective. Music in silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father, the devil, our father entered hell, no square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. But all has been occupied by noise. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. This was Lewis writing this in the 1940s. Noise is the opposing force to both music and silence in the demonic mind. Music isn't necessarily the problem. I'm not railing against music. Music isn't necessarily the problem because ultimately music good music. Music, it moves the heart. It moves the heart. It stirs the heart. It awakens that force that the Greeks referred to as eros. Eros, which is the upward thrust, the upward longing of the heart for the infinite. It's the longing for the infinite. So music, it stirs. I mean, every single one of us, I'm sure, could tell stories of that moment when like music, some song pierced you. You listen to music and you get chills. You ever think about that? Like sound waves, like speakers, vibrating air molecules, bombarding into your ear, you know, physical mechanical energy, electrochemical energy into your brain. All of a sudden you get like goosebumps all over your body. Like, wow, what the heck just happened? That music can pierce us. Music can move our hearts. It can awaken Eros. And Eros, of course, which is that homing beacon it's telling us you are made for the infinite. You're made for a world beyond this world. So music isn't necessarily the problem. So why does the devil love, if you will, if you can even use that phrase for the devil, why does the devil love noise? Why does he hate music and silence? Because both music and silence, quite simply, they lead us to God. It's so critical for us to remember, we're talking about this story tonight, but in terms of our story, in terms of viewing reality correctly, 
We have to know where we are. We don't live in neutral territory. This world is enemy-occupied territory. Again, as C.S. Lewis said, this is enemy-occupied territory. Jesus referred to the enemy as the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. This is his playground. This is his world in that sense. This is enemy-occupied territory. It's a fallen world. We have an enemy who prowls about, as we hear in Scripture, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for souls to devour. And so the prince of this world seeks to fill this world with noise because he's not interested in creating Satanists. He's interested in keeping every heart from the Father. And whatever he can do to keep your heart from the Father, he'll do it. His objective is for you and I to die in the lie that my happiness is found apart from God. So he fills the world with noise. Now, look, I don't want to come across as a Luddite, you know, in this talk here, right? Like, cell phones are bad, iPads are bad. I mean, I'm, I'm, I wrote my talk on an iPad, right, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and I wrote the talk with, like, Gregorian chant playing for my Spotify account in the background, right? So, like, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. But notice, please notice, the multiplicity of ways that we have invented to fill our worlds with noise, to fill our worlds with diversion, distraction, all those sorts of things that can exteriorize us, keep us on the surface, keep us alienated from our hearts. And like, working on this talk was a brutal examination of conscience for myself, I just gotta tell you, like, because I'm, I might be the one holding the microphone, but I am the first culprit in this uh, whole filling your world with noise. Like, I used, this is maybe too much information, I used to shower in silence. Some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> These days, I wake up, I got my little Bose speaker, get it in my bathroom, I'll start my like morning podcast. I just want to listen to like my stuff. I want to listen to what's going on in the world. Noise, noise. I've really had, I mean, since working on this, I'm like, I've really had to like guard against that. The automatic temptation to like grab your phone, look at your phone. How weird is it? I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one. How weird is it that we've experienced now? We, we live in a world where we now experience phantom buzzing in our pockets. Your phone's not in your pocket, but you, you could swear on your mother's life that you just got a text message. <laughs> You're like, my phone's not even in my pocket. What is that that our bodies are so connected to technology? A few weeks ago, I was down in Columbus. Um, I, was given, uh, I was given a parish mission down in St. Catharines and Bexley. And bef- during the days, I, I visited Ohio State's campus, right? So 50,000 students on this campus. And I'm not exaggerating. Okay, maybe ever so slightly. But honestly, like nearly every student that I saw walking to and from campus, every single student, every single kid had those AirPods in their ears or headphones on. 50,000 people all together alone, all with their little noises right in their ears. I'm sure some of them were listening to fine things, educational things, maybe listening to my homilies, I don't know. (laughs) They can keep the AirPods in. But these people alone together in the world, this, what struck me was this is the anti-communion of saints. They're all together, but no one's in communion. No one's together. So 
That's where the noise comes from. It's diabolical with one end in mind, which is to keep us from our hearts, to keep us from God. This is from Blaise Pascal, from his uh, seminal work, The Pensee. He says, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You don't believe me? Just try it. Do an experiment. Try it for a half hour. Go in a room by yourself with nothing and just sit there. Within like a minute, you're going to be like, I'm, I'm about to die. <laughs> why can't we sit alone quietly in our rooms? Second question, why are we afraid of silence? Why have we, be, why have we become addicted to the freneticism and the noise? I'll speak from my own experience on this one. So in seminary, my brother priests and seminarians might be here, in seminary, when you're in first theology, so that's year one of the five years of grad school, you do a postinia retreat. Now, postinia is a Russian word which means desert. It's a tradition that comes to us from sort of Russian Orthodox Church. It was brought to the United States by Catherine Doherty, who's on her way to sainthood. She was the foundress of the Madonna House. Anyway, postinia retreats 24 hours alone in a room by yourself. You get a pitcher of water. You get a loaf of bread. You can bring your Bible journal, an icon, a crucifix. And at the seminary, we did it on the third floor of the residence hall in these unoccupied student rooms. So leading up to the post retreat, I was like, I was both excited and terrified, right? Excited and terrified. Because it's a long time to be by yourself. I remember, so we would sit, we sat in the chapel as Father Loya, the spiritual director of the house, he escorted us individually to our rooms. So I'm walking into my room, I got my pillow, my blanket, all my stuff, my loaf of bread. I wish I'd remembered to pack butter, but I had forgotten butter. <laughs> I do know somebody who had the housekeeping ladies stash butter in his drawer, in his room. Anyway, so he escorts me to my room, which are called cells, by the way, where, you know, prisoners live. So he escorted me to my cell. I walk in, and he's standing at the door. And he just had this look on his face. He just goes, good luck. And he closes the door. And you're automatically just like, <laughs> I am in this room for the next 24 hours. 24 hours. Okay. So my heart's racing. I just laid down on my bed. I tried to relax for a little bit. I made my bed. I set things up. I got my journal where I wanted, my Bible where I wanted, my crucifix where I wanted. I got things all set up, put my bread where I wanted. And then I was like, I, I mean, I just, I, I need to do a little recon. I'm like, what's going on in this room here? So I counted the ceiling tiles. Like, that's, that's a good number of ceiling tiles. I wonder how many floor tiles there are. I counted the floor tiles next. And then I'm like, is there anything cool in this room, right? Is there anything in the closet? So I opened the closet thinking maybe it'd be like a door to Narnia, right? That, wouldn't that be cool, right? Nothing. Just a wall. Close the closet. So I'm like, is there anything in the drawers? I open the drawers, nothing in the drawers. I'm like, I wonder if there's anything written on the drawers. So I flip open the drawer, and someone before me had carved with like a pen, also probably in their own blood, the words, God, get me out of here. True <laughs> story. With like 20 exclamation marks afterwards. I'm like, yeah! Right. So at this point, we're like five minutes into the retreat. 
And so I'm like, okay, okay, just calm down. Just sit by the window. All Saints school, the grade school was letting out. So I just like sat by the window, watched the buses come, the school kids come. And I just like, I'm just gonna have a little bed. I'm just gonna like calm my heart, calm my nerves. I was a husky kid growing up. So I just like, I'm gonna eat. I'm just gonna have a little bit of food. This will take care of things. So there I am looking out the window, mindlessly eating my loaf of bread until I realized I had now eaten all of my bread. We are still within like the first hour of the 24 hours. And now I'm for sure convinced I'm going to die, right? I know one guy who, who his, the way that he dealt with this, he just drank as much water as possible so he could go to the bathroom as often as he could. Okay, so long story short, I finally did settle into the silence. But what, what was my ideal? Like, that's what I had to confront for the next 23 hours. Like, what was that? Why did I not want this? What was I afraid of? And what became clear eventually was I was just afraid of me. I was just afraid of being alone with me. Like, most of us, we live our lives like, like speedboats racing through life. So much going on, so much to do. And there's so much that just gets churned up in the wake behind us. Just stuff. And in that wake behind me, there was a lot of junk and garbage and just stuff that like, I knew I eventually had to deal with, but not today. I don't want to deal with that today. So when the speedboat stops, that weight just comes over the transom of the boat, over the backside of the boat. I did not want to be alone with the junk that was in me. I didn't want to face it. In Carlos Sarah's book, The Power of Silence, which I cannot recommend more highly, The Power of Silence, he writes this. Postmodern man seeks to anesthetize his own atheism. Noises, and, noises are screens that betray a fear of the divine, a fear of real life and of death. I mean, I, it wasn't so much atheism I wanted to anesthetize, but I did want to keep my distance from the living and true God. I did not want to be encountered by him. Like, we, I, I think a lot of us theoretically are super interested in encountering God. Wouldn't that be cool to encounter the living God? But man, I don't know if I want to be encountered by the living God. Because then I'm not in control. Then what will he start looking at? I did not want to be in the silence because I didn't want to look at my stuff. I didn't want to come up to the surface and I didn't want God to know about it. Which sounds irrational, but that's where I was. And I think that's where many of us probably are. They have these uh, incredible soundproof chambers in acoustic laboratories. They're called anechoic chambers. They're in like perfectly sound deadening environments. They look terrifying. They've got these big cones coming out of the walls. But you go into these chambers, they close the door. Over about five to 10 minutes of being in these, this absolutely dead silent environment, you can start to hear your own blood moving through your body. You can start to hear oxygen filling your lungs. Like everything that's interiorized becomes audible. 
That's what silence does. We can hear the interior. Again, Cardinal Sarah, he says this, sounds and emotions detach us from ourselves, whereas silence always forces man to reflect upon his own life. And we're afraid of that. And related to that, we're afraid that if I do go into the silence, if I do put myself there, what if no one shows up? What if I throw the lure out into the divine pond of silence and I just sit there all day without a single nibble? That's terrifying. And we, so we conclude, it's just maybe best I just don't even go there. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Forever and always, God calls us to be with him in the silence. Why? Simple reason. Because he's a lover. And lovers whisper. The most tender words are never shouted. The most tender words are always whispered. Which is why we need silence. Silence is the tonic. Silence is the remedy to our pain. It's the remedy to our insanity. For one reason. Because in silence we hear the living God speak. And more than anything, it's we need his words. They're words of healing. They're words of grace. They're words of power. They're words of life. We need his words to take root in the soil of our humanity. In silence, it's not as though we can... It's not, it's not simply this, that we can finally hear him as if his voice is this speaker that's miles above the clouds and finally we're like, oh yeah, I think I hear it. No, 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 no. In the silence, we can finally be enveloped by the word and the speaker. Our hearts can be caressed. Again, Cardinal Sarah here, and he, he, his words are worth quoting at length, so do forgive me for the length of this quote. He says this, Our world no longer hears God because it is constantly speaking at a devastating speed and volume in order to say nothing. Modern civilization does not know how to be quiet. It holds forth in an unending monologue. In this theater of shadows, the word of God fades away, inaccessible and inaudible. Postmodernity is an ongoing offense and aggression against the divine silence. From morning to evening, from evening to morning, silence no longer has any place at all. The noise tries to prevent God himself from speaking. In this hell of noise, man disintegrates and is lost. He is broken up into countless worries and fantasies and fears. In order to get out of these depressing tunnels, he desperately awaits noise so that it will bring him a few consolations. Noise is a deceptive, addictive and false tranquilizer. This age detests the things that silence brings to us to. Encounter, wonder, and kneeling before God. How can anyone study in the midst of noise? How can you read in noise? How can you train your intellect in noise? How can you structure your thought and the contours of your interior being in noise? How can you be open to the mystery of God, to spiritual values, to our human greatness in continual turmoil? Contemplative silence is a fragile little flame in the middle of a raging ocean. The fire of silence is weak because it is bothersome to a busy world. 
The greatest things are accomplished in silence, not in the clamor and display of superficial eventfulness, but in the deep clarity of inner vision, in the almost imperceptible start of a decision, in quiet overcoming and hidden sacrifice. The greatest things, he says, are accomplished in silence. Let's just linger in that place for a moment. It reminds me of Father Jean Corbon, who John Paul II asked him to write the fourth section of the Catechism on Prayer. Imagine getting that phone call. <laughs> I'd like you to write the Catechism on Prayer. That's my John Paul impression. <laughs> okay, all right. He says this, the most fruitful human activity, activity, most fruitful human activity is to receive God. The most fruitful human doing, achieving, accomplishment, the most fruitful human activity is to receive God. Like the greatest thing that you will ever do, that you will ever accomplish is to open yourself, to let yourself be found by him, to be still, to be encountered, to be touched by his love. And that always happens in the silence. Like I know, obviously, we're in Advent, but I, I couldn't help but think of Lent for this talk, right? Lent being the invitation into the desert. Lent, every year, starts with following the Lord into the wilderness. And every year, we hear those words from Hosea. Therefore, I am now going to allure her the Lord speaking to Israel. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak harshly to her. I'm so sorry. That's not what it says. I will speak tenderly to her. Some of you are like, right. Yes. Get on it, Lord. Old Testament God. It's not what he says. I will speak tenderly to her. We're led out into the wilderness with silence and stillness and deprivation, not to be punished. Never to be punished. Silence, invitation into silence is never a punishment or even a purification, but it's an invitation. It's, it's creating the conditions. Listen, it's creating the conditions for you and me to be romanced. Do you know that our story is a love story? He invites us into the wilderness that we might be romanced. That's what the desert is. To ancient Israel, in the biblical imagination, the desert is the place of romance. It's the place where lovers meet over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Lovers meet in the wilderness. It's not a place of punishment or deprivation. And he leads us out there into the silence, into the stillness, to lure us away from all of our false lovers, all of those false lovers, all of those anesthetizing pacifiers of noise. No, 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 no. Come, 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 come. Stop sucking your thumb. I want to give you the real milk of my love. In just a few days, very soon, we'll all be in our parishes celebrating the great mystery of the Lord's nativity. And we'll hear, I'm sure at some point, we'll be singing Silent Night. When the word, yeah, the irony. When the word, the logos, crash lands upon creation, he doesn't come like a meteor 
from the heavens. Although his coming was so impactful that it split time in two. He came like the still small voice that Elijah heard on the mountain of Horeb. The mountain was rending and quaking. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then came a great fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then came a still small voice. And he hid himself. He comes to us like snow. Imperceptibly falling from the heavens. He comes to us as the infant. Infans in Latin. Which means the non-speaker. The word, the eternal word, becomes the non-speaker. The silent one. Made flesh. We need silence simply for one reason. For communion. For the gaze, for the embrace, for the kiss. I'm a celibate, but I'm pretty sure it's hard to be kissed if you're, st- you're still talking. It's pretty important to eventually close your mouth and be silent. That's what the word mystery means. In the Greek, muain, to close your mouth. Are the mysteries of our faith are those things before which we eventually just close our mouths. All words fall flat. But silence must be carved out and fought for. We need, to, we need silence to experience his love, so we have to fight for it. I'll close with this. This quote from Soren Kierkegaard. Oh, create silence. If I were a physician... And if I were allowed to prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. For even if the word of God were proclaimed in the modern world, how could one hear it with so much noise? Therefore, create silence. Let's bow our heads before the silence before the beauty of the Trinity. So we pray all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,